You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. God, today we come with a mind towards penance and repentance as we enter this season of Lent. Draw us today to your heart through your word and the good news of the gospel. May the preaching of your word be your word for the sake and glory of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I read the prophets of the Old Testament, I'm reminded of a story that I once heard about the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. When after preaching a sermon to his congregation, he was standing outside greeting folks as they left, one lady came up to him and said, Dr. Spurgeon, it seems every sermon you preach is the same each Sunday. When do you plan to change things up? To that, Spurgeon responded, my dear woman, when you get it, I will stop preaching it. I feel that way oftentimes when I read the prophets of the Old Testament because it seems that the same things are happening with just some varying circumstances around them. Maybe a bit, a bit of an oversimplification would be that the people of God had wandered from God and they need to return. This, of course, is in line with the human heart that we might wander. We are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, as the old hymn says. Or as a good friend of mine often will say, Christians leak. We fill up, but then we leak. Some have a slow drip. Some have gaping holes where they leak. And the once strong desire for Christ begins to fade over time, needing a renewal. We find that to be true in the book of Joel today. The book of Joel naturally divides into two parts. Uh, The chapter 1, verses 1, goes all the way to chapter 2, verse 27, where we read about a, a terrible locust plague that's come over Israel as a judgment from God. And how the people repented and God restored their fortunes. And then in verse 28 of chapter 2 to the end of the book, we read about how God at some future time is going to pour out his spirit far and wide to bless his people and how he's going to gather for judgment the nations which have rejected him and his people. Or to put it another way and a little simpler, we might say the first half of the book describes how God fought against his own people to make them honor him alone. And the second half describes how he will fight against the nations who refuse to honor him alone. We don't know much about the prophet Joel himself, but he makes clear that his point is not to know him, but that he would be a mouthpiece for the Lord to bring the people and ultimately the nations to a place of seeing their sin and understanding their need for repentance. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he describes the catastrophe of locusts and the plague that has inflicted the nation of Israel. What the cutting locust has left, he says, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust have eaten. The result of this locust plague was utter devastation. So much so that in verse 5, he goes on to say that all the wine is cut off from the drunkard's mouth. In verse 7, the fig trees have splintered. In verse 9, there's not even enough grain for the cereal offerings in the temple. 
So then in verse 13, Joel calls Israel to cry out to the Lord because he sees in this catastrophe the judgment of God leading up to the great and terrible day of the Lord. Most recently, here in Birmingham and surrounding areas, we encountered a, a tornado just a few weeks ago, if you remember. It was an EF3 tornado that hit the Fultondale in the center point area. And we took a group of folks on various occasions to go and to serve in the area and to provide some much needed assistance. But we weren't in ground zero. We didn't see the direct effects of the tornado. We met families that were affected. So I decided on the last day, my oldest son was with me, we decided to drive over to what they were calling Ground Zero. We drove over to Fultondale, and as we're driving in, he even made mention, it doesn't look so bad because everything looked normal. And then all of a sudden, as though a switch was flipped from okay to devastation, you see where the tornado had ransacked the area. Where houses stood were now just one or two walls, maybe even just the slab. Where trees had been ripped up from their roots. Where furniture was strewn all over the place and you couldn't even tell what its original intent was to be. It was as though someone literally had dropped a bomb in the area. Devastation. Locust swarms were somewhat, uh, somewhat common in the Old Testament, similar to tornadoes here in the south. They don't happen all the time, but they do happen some of the time. And this particular occasion of locusts in the book of Joel is a devastation that is likely much like what we would see in a tornado. The, everything had been leveled, everything had been eaten, everything had been destroyed. And Joel links this particular locust plague to the need and call for repentance. We learn that God is fighting his people for some reason. We're not told why, which probably means that Joel intended for us to learn more about God than ourselves. God has sent his army of locusts against Israel and threatened the end is near. He's fighting against his people, but is only destruction in his mind? No. Verse 12 through 14 that we read tell us much more about the warrior God. It says, yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him a cereal offering, and a drink offering for the Lord our God. Even though God has threatened destruction of his own people, he holds out the opportunity for repentance and salvation at the 11th hour. If they will repent, he will relent. If they will rend their hearts, he will cease to rend their land. The character of God is such a thing of beauty. God is literally showing us that he will do anything it takes for his people to come to him in repentance and walk in righteousness after him. What he cannot do is ignore their sin because his heart hurts for his own who are walking away from him. The reading from Matthew today finds us in a similar situation. Now there are no locusts, but Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day and he brings the focus to their very heart as opposed to their outward actions. 
He calls their practice of fasting, at least the way they're doing it, for the attention of others. He says, it's hypocritical. He says, as you fast, don't look, like glo- don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. I say to you, they've received their reward. So what then is the purpose of a fast? As we enter into this Lenten season where we talk much about fasting from things, what is our purpose for fasting? Is it something that we give up so that we might get our weight under control for 40 days? No, that's not what the Lord calls us to in a fast. It is a purpose for reflection, an intentional focus on the Lord to change us into his image. In other words, if chocolate and wine are the things that you're currently hindered by or distracted by or have become somehow an idolatry in your life, then by all means, you should give them up. If, however, they're simply something that in some way seem culturally acceptable to give up during a Lenten discipline, then maybe we should spend some more time praying about what might draw us near to the Lord. For indeed, the purpose of fasting is to draw near to the Lord and intentionally listen for his still small voice. What might God be teaching us and drawing us to during this time? I believe it's the same as he was teaching the Pharisees and the followers of Matthew's day, and also the same as the Israelites in Joel's day. First, I believe it is that God is teaching us to observe him and to honor him and to glorify him in the same way the prophets of old did. To see God in the same way they saw God, as a big God, a mighty God, a powerful God. A God that the word of God might spread throughout Birmingham, that they have a big God at the advent. The first lesson for our man-centered 21st century is this. From devouring locusts or grasshoppers to vanishing galaxies, God has a purpose, and he will achieve it. To be God alone in the eyes of all the world. Secondly, if and when our hearts wander from God, he will fight against us to bring us to repentance. I've seen it in my own life. If I begin to become too proud, self-confident, and my prayer starts to feel unnecessary, God clogs my way. He brings me to a halt. Things begin to go sour. Tensions arise. Sleep is not sweet. Depression builds. Everywhere I turn, there is no joy. He boxes me in and he clogs my way. He fights against me in my pride. For he is a jealous God. And he will have our hearts trust 100%. When he says in Joel 2.12, return to me with all your heart. It seems pretty clear, doesn't it? He's not just fighting for us, he's fighting for all of us. He's fighting for our heart, all our heart, not just a piece on Sunday, not just a piece at mealtime, and not just a piece at bedtime. He wants to be our heart's affection and our mind's desire. If you're his, he'll fight you until you give him all your heart, all of the time. And so we enter this season of Lent, Having all fallen short of giving God our whole heart and not acknowledging just how great God is as the prophets did. And so we come heeding the words of the prophet Joel to rend our hearts and not our garments. To awake, to lament, to be ashamed and wail, to declare a fast and cry out to the Lord for his mercy. 
Turn from the sin you cherish and for which you feel guilty. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That we might not be bitter at God because he clogs our way and frustrates our day. But as John Piper says, that we might understand that in every divine stroke in the discipline, the loving Father is going against our pride, our self-reliance, and our love for the world. That we should turn and kiss the rod of discipline of God, and the Lord will become to you and to us a gentle shepherd. This Lenten season, with a repentant heart, coming back to the Lord, seeking after God to change us into his likeness, might we, like the old hymn says, turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.